Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with a new college 12-pack. It's been a little bit of a hiatus for us, holidays, traveling, uh, but we're back to recap the college football playoffs. But I have to say, Tyler, I hope you're doing better than Matt House is doing today uh, after announced that he would no longer be staying. Uh, he would not be returning along with several other key uh, defensive staff at LSU, but I digress. We're not here to talk about LSU. We're going to talk a little bit about the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, and the college football playoff national championship. That's going to be going down Monday night, January 8th. I'm excited about that. I'm not excited that it's a Monday game, Tyler, because, you know, Tuesday, you're going to you're gonna be up late, you know, and then Tuesday you got to drag into work. It's, it's unfortunate for even us uh, who work in the industry. I mean, we're still dragging into work Tuesday morning. But let's talk about the Rose Bowl. And, Tyler, just – Right off the bat, what what was your biggest takeaway from the Rose Bowl? Obviously, it was a, a tight, contested game. But I, I feel like we walked away from that game uh, seeing that Michigan was as advertised. They they proved that they are one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, just real quick, you know, that that, that uh, national championship on Monday night is always rough on the East Coast. So uh, that's always uh, not very fun for me. But, yeah, you know, looking at the Rose Bowl, like, I think I kind of have two simultaneous takeaways, which was first of all, like Michigan up front defensively, like on another level of, of on another level of anyone else in the country, honestly, like, I mean, that was a performance. I mean, Georgia didn't do that to that Alabama team, you know, an Alabama team that maybe has some issues on the offensive line, but you know, still some really talented players there. Like it shouldn't have been um, as dominant as it, as it was, but it, you know, they got absolutely beat in the trenches, you know, Milrow sacked six times. And that kind of leads into my other main takeaway, which is that, this Alabama passing offense just isn't quite where it needs to be. Right. Like, I mean, you know, with Jalen Milrow, I think he's taken steps throughout the year. That's pretty easy to see, but like when push comes to shove, it's not quite there. I mean, I think he threw for like less than 120 yards in this game. You know, they ran the ball. Okay. Which is, you know, pretty good on that front, but you know, it's really tough. And I think, you know, if you told me that was how the game was going to go going in, I would say, man, like, you know, Alabama really needs a great defensive performance and they weren't bad, but I do think that, you know, I was a little bit wrong. I think about, about, you know, what JJ McCarthy would be capable of doing. I still think he missed some throws in this game or was a little bit inaccurate on some throws, you know, uh, not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but he, you know, made some big plays when it mattered. He led the offense and moved the ball on a really talented Alabama defense. So all of that to say, man, like I'm really impressed with Michigan. Um, I, you know, I, I was a little 50-50, but I picked Alabama going into this game. Um, and now, you know, I mean, we'll get into it, but Michigan, I don't know if anyone can beat them. They may not be, but I, I think the one thing that we'll get into is what Washington is going to be able to do, uh, challenging that team vertically. There just was no vertical challenge. They could play with everything in front of them when they were playing against Alabama. You know, Milrow was was a threat to run the football, of course, and we've seen that. Uh, but he was really no threat throwing the ball. I mean, he was pretty efficient. You're talking about 16 out of 23, 
Uh, but he only threw for that 116 yards, no touchdowns. Like you said, sacked six times. He did rush for 63 yards in that game. Uh, but really, outside of Jason McClellan running the football, I just felt like this offense really wasn't going to challenge Michigan. They were up late, needed some defensive stance, couldn't get them. Um, and then ultimately the run game and, and going into the the overtime, uh, you know, Blake Horn being able to do what he's done all year, and that's bounce off of would-be tacklers, get into the end zone, secure that victory. Uh, I, I question a lot of the play calling, uh, especially late there in, in the second half. And, uh, you know, I felt like they were a little bit handcuffed offensively, uh, Alabama was especially late in that game when they had an opportunity to put the game away and then once again, you know, at least tie or attempt to uh, take the lead in overtime and, and really just I, – I walked away from that game mightily impressed in uh, Michigan and uh, a little bit disappointed in Alabama. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a really sloppy game for Alabama. Like, they, they didn't look – that I mean, they didn't look that impressive to me, honestly. Like, you know, as much as, uh, you know, the way Florida State played against Georgia, even down all their guys sort of vindicated that decision in a way. And, and I mean, Alabama had a chance to win that game, too. So it's not like they were mm-hmm. completely outclassed. But, like, I mean, you had – I mean, how many of those snaps went awry? Like, I lost count. I couldn't even keep track of it. And those, you know, proved to be pretty costly plays. They spent a lot of time going backwards on early downs, and that just hurts, you know, against a, a defense that just is not going to give you that much, you know. So – I think that's the primary takeaway is, you know, just just didn't play clean enough in a game that, you know, in spite of all their flaws, they had ample opportunities to win. You know, and it wasn't it was far from a perfect game for Michigan. You know, they had their own uh, sloppiness and mistakes and all that. But, you know, ultimately they were the more consistent team and they won, you know, the battle up front. And, you know, football is about blocking and tackling. And, you know, in that game, Michigan clearly had the advantage there. They certainly did, but now they got their hands full. They're going to have to face Washington team, who is coming off a victory in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. And we got what we thought we might see, a, a high-scoring affair with two of the best. I would I would argue that these two teams had the, the two best wide receiver cores in all of college football. When you talk about a Don I. Mitchell, uh, you talk about you know Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy on the Texas side, and not to forget uh, Jutavion Sanders, they're, they're – all-star tight end. Uh, but then you look over on the other side with Romo Dunaze, Jalen Polk. Uh, you, know, you have uh, McMillan. Uh, I mean, they had a plethora of weapons as well. Not too surprising to see. And, and really came down to a few, the final minute of that game before we really knew who was going to walk away with that. At times we thought that Washington was going to run away with this football game. They had the lead late uh, and were able to hold on. But, you know, that game for me, it was – it was never a question of, uh, you know, Texas not being in it even up to late. They, they had their opportunities and just squandered. And my biggest takeaway was uh, Steve Sarkeesian. What what was up with those play calls at the end? Because I felt like three, three passes into the end zone on uncatchable passes, if that was your best opportunity to win the football game, I, I, I really don't know what he was trying to do there. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, too, because, you know, I think that, you know, in a game where your offense had really been struggling for a lot of the game, you know, they they were not, you know, I don't think it was a great game for Quinn Ewers. I really don't. I think he had, you know, missed some throws, but he was really great down the stretch there. And I just don't really understand what they were trying to do, you know, after all they did to come back in that game. And still, you know, a better pass on that last ball that sailed over that, you know, sailed over his head, like, 
that's probably a, a game winning touchdown. If that's just thrown a little bit lower, you know, a little bit lower into the back. So, you know, they had every opportunity to win this game, but the fact of the matter is the margin for error was non-existent because of how just unreal Michael Penix was in this game. I mean, there's for 430 yards, two touchdowns. Like I don't, you know, there's no need to relitigate the Heisman. Like my opinion on Jaden Daniels winning, it hasn't changed, but with that being said, if you're holding that vote today, Michael Penix probably wins it after that game. I mean, he, I mean, just, he made not only, you know, was it the production, but just high level throws and they needed every single one of them in that game. Um, it was just, just an all time performance from him. Um, and, and those receivers, you know, Romo Dunze had 125 yards in that game and the defense, you know, like I said, they did enough. I mean, they gave up some big plays, they gave up some points, but a defense that we had questions about, you know, they held up, they held up their end of the bargain. They did enough to win that game. So, you know, pretty impressive for Washington. And I'd say, you know, the only major concern I have for this team is they might be a little bit one dimensional against a very good Michigan front because, you know, at the end of the game there, obviously the running back Dylan Johnson goes down, suffers what looks like it could be a pretty serious injury. Um, and if he's not able to go, you know, they, they don't really have another guy that's seen significant carries this year. So uh, that's just going to put even more pressure on Michael Penix against a, just a really nasty defensive front. Yeah, and even that injury uh, late in that game gave Texas that opportunity late to drive the length of the field to try and tie that game up or or win it uh, in regulation because uh, they were they were down six at that point. So a field goal would have uh, touchdown an extra point would have won it for them. Uh, but I, you know, I felt like in recent years we've seen a lot of blowouts in these semifinals. So it was kind of nice to see these these closer games, these highly contested games. And it also just brings more excitement uh, moving forward when you look at what's to come uh, in terms of the 12-team playoff that will start next year. Not quite sure what the full model is going to be uh, for next year. It was six plus six, the six automatic bids, and then the uh, um, and then the at-large bids. Uh, we might be going with five and seven, so that'll be an interesting one uh, to see how how that all plays out. But when we look at the college football playoff national championship game down in Houston, we're going to have Michigan and Washington, uh, essentially two teams that will be facing each other next year in the Big Ten, playing for that Big Ten title, or at least attempting to get to the Big Ten championship game with the new look 18-team Big Ten. Uh, But this is going to be a great matchup with two different styles. You know, you have the high-flying offense run by Kalen DeBoer, and then you obviously have, uh, when you look over at on the other side with Michigan, they're more of a grinded-out type of team. Two different schools of thought, so we will find out if defense ultimately will win this championship. I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. You th- you think uh, that Michigan is clearly the team uh, with the advantage in, in this matchup coming up. Yeah, you know, I mean, as we've both uh, kind of alluded to, I think this is the ultimate test for this Washington offense that's been really, really good. Like, you know, they're going to get pressure on Michael Penix in this game. I mean, you know, Washington's had some offensive line injuries this year. Like, I mean, this is, they're going to, I mean, to me, there's no debating that. I think that they're going to put pressure on Michael Penix. And if Dylan Johnson can't play in this game and you can't run the ball, it's going to be tough. I mean, he's going to have to have as good a game, if not better than what he did against Texas. And, and, you know, I think it, it's what it one thing that is interesting to me though is I think you do have to also assume that Washington will score some points in this game, um, just with the weapons they have. And I do think you know, I do wonder still a little bit if Michigan can keep up. You know, that Rose Bowl never really turned into a shootout or anything like that, they kind of controlled that game state, even when 
you know, it wasn't looking great at, at times late in the game. It was never sort of out of the way Michigan wanted it to be playing out. You know, if they find themselves down in this game, you know, say what you will about the Washington defense, but, you know, you just said that Texas receiver room might be the best in the entire country. They held them fairly in check. I mean, they got their production, but it wasn't, you know, an outright dominating performance. I don't think Michigan really has anything that's up to that caliber. So, you know, I think there's reason to believe that Washington, if they can, you know, not just get beat at the line of scrimmage and, you know, let Michigan run all over them with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, if they can prevent that from happening, I think there's reason to believe that this game could favor Washington. Um, you know, if they can score points, I don't know if Michigan can keep up, but I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, when you look at it, uh, especially the the game that we just saw, you know, Washington was 3 of 11 on third down. So I think that's really where this game is really going to factor in is who's able to get those first downs uh, for Washington or does Michigan, are they able to keep them relatively in check? Because I think when you look at this game, that's kind of the, the matchups that I'm looking at, obviously, in the red zone. But uh, if you're consistently putting Washington in, in third and long because they really don't know what they're going to have run game-wise with Dylan Johnson being hurt, um, you're going to have to capitalize on those opportunities if you're a Michigan defense, force them into third and long, and and really put the pressure on Penix, who wasn't sacked, but he still dealt with pressure against Texas. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, like we just saw how disruptive that Michigan defensive front can be. Um, and I, I don't think we've really ever seen Michael Penix under that kind of stress you know even in the Oregon games it, it wasn't like that so I think that is a major question for sure like I think I could 100% see this game playing out in a way where like you know it's just a wake-up call completely for Washington's offense and they just get absolutely blown up at the line of scrimmage especially if the run game's not going anywhere so that's kind of my fear like I think this is going to be a good game I think it's going to be a competitive matchup but if you're trying to sell me on a way where it's just not at all kind of in the way the last year's game was to me that that's it is just uh you know Washington's offense runs into the same problem that Jalen Milrow and Alabama did which just can't go anywhere can't hit the explosive plays uh you know what do you do then yeah they're gonna have to figure that out um they're they're gonna have to find a way to push the ball down the field I think I mean we've seen J.J. McCarthy do a good job of you know, being efficient, throwing the football and, and, and coming off the run game with Donovan Edwards, with Blake Corum. But what happens when they get into a shootout? What happens when the offense on the other side is able to put up a lot of points? That That's really where I think this game will be won and lost. It's going to be uh, Washington on offense against that Michigan defense uh, because if, they, if Washington can score a lot, that's a lot of pressure on a, on a Michigan team that hasn't really shown – uh, really since they got into the teeth of their their schedule, especially late in the year and into the playoff. And are they a team that can put up a ton of points? And that's really my biggest question for them. Uh, but that's all going to go down uh, Monday night. Uh, but before we move on to our next, our next topic, Tyler, I just want to know, go ahead. Uh, what is your prediction and who is your MVP uh, for the national championship? Hmm. So I, so for, I mean, I'm going to stick with Michigan for prediction. Like I don't, I mean, I don't love it. I haven't felt great about my picks in any of these games. And by the way, I was wrong about both semifinals. I picked Alabama and Texas. So, uh, so that goes to show, you know, how valuable my opinion is here, but I think, I think I'm leaning towards Michigan just because I think, especially, I think if there was any doubt in my mind, I think 
Dylan Johnson's injury really kind of solidifies for me. Like this is going to have to be a, a like, you know, career kind of game from Michael Penix, I feel like. So, so I'm going to go with Michigan and I'll go, I'll go Blake Corum as MVP. No, no, I'm going to go JJ McCarthy because I think he's probably going to produce decently well in this game. Okay. I agree with you on a lot of what you said. And I also was wrong. Uh, but one of us is going to be wrong because I'm picking Washington. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Washington. I just think that they're going to be able to do enough offensively to put that pressure. Um, and for my MVP, I'm not going to go with the quarterback. That's the easy pick, I think. Um, now, I agree with your reasoning for J.J., but I'm going to go with Romo Dunze. I, I really think that he's going to have a big game. Uh, maybe it's similar to the uh, game we saw last year between Ohio State and Georgia where – Marvin Harrison Jr. just showed why he was the best wide receiver on the planet. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go wide receiver, Romo Dunze, and Washington. Uh, gets the gets the victory for the first time, I was saying 30 years. It's been, I think, 33 years since they've been a national championship. So I'm going to go with the Huskies. All right, but let's talk about something about the teams that didn't win, and we're going to start with Alabama. Tyler, if you're looking at an Alabama roster right now, if you're looking at the Alabama team, uh, obviously, they have a lot to hang their hat on. They won the SEC championship by beating Georgia, uh, ending that long win streak. Uh, they have a lot of top players coming back next year. They have a lot of top recruits coming in. But when you look at Alabama right now, uh, like where do you go uh, heading into next year? Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly questions, right? Like, I mean, first of all, let's just say, like, I mean, this year has ended up being much more successful than I think anyone thought back in September it was going to be. I mean, you know, back when it was 3 nothing at halftime against South Florida, I don't think anyone thought this was a playoff, uh, you know, playoff and SEC championship caliber team. Um, but it was. So, you know, credit to Nick Saban, obviously, you know, you, you know, you can never doubt that guy, uh, no matter how things look. But, you know, I do think there are questions, you know, despite the way the Georgia game played out, this was a flawed team that was flawed throughout. You know, they played, you know, tight games, you know, close game against Arkansas, you know, as we all talked about, should have should have lost to Auburn. I mean, needed a miracle to win that game, and, and we're not even having this conversation now. So, you know, I think it's pretty clear that this team was limited. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm kind of concerned about the offense. I think if you would ask me before these semifinals – Jalen Milrow might have been my Heisman pick going into 2024. And, you know, he still could be. He still could, you know, make that kind of leap. But I think it's pretty clear he has a ways to go. Um, and, you know, I look at, you know, I still think Alabama hasn't really maintained its separate. You know, I think it's still pretty clear despite beating Georgia, that still looks like the team that's more well positioned going into 2024, especially with, you know, Carson Beck coming back. So I still think there's questions about where this team fits into the new SEC. You know, no more SEC West, Texas and Oklahoma coming over. There's a lot of questions. Um, and I think, you know, like I've said, most of them rest on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and when you look next year, uh, just look at the schedule early on. I mean, they're going to play at Wisconsin September 14th. Or September 28th, they're going to play Georgia. Of course, the LSU game in November. They're going to play a Missouri team who's looked fantastic. Uh, just coming off a victory over Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and then they close out their road uh, regular season at Oklahoma and then obviously the the Iron Bowl to close out the year. Uh, they, they've got a tough schedule, um, as, as we won't hide that. Uh, but I, I think you're right. I think when you look at this team, they have some questions. 
And I have a lot of questions at the quarterback position. Uh, Jalen Milrow, clearly the guy that they should go with. Obviously, I think he's proven that. Uh, but there are areas that he needs to improve on. And more importantly, that's throwing the football. Uh, he has shown at times the ability to get the ball downfield and really take advantage going to that next level. Uh, but at this point in time, I, I would say he needs to be more consistent in that area, just throwing the football. And that's where I'm kind of hesitant on him, but I am high on him going into next year. Let's not forget he finished sixth in the Heisman race this year. I don't know if I would put him as a favorite, uh, but five of the last uh, five of the last seven Heisman winners were transfers. So I might back off him just a little bit uh, and go with one of these transfers like Dylan Gabriel uh, that's going to Oregon. Uh, but let's talk about the other team. You talked about you brought him up Texas in the new look SEC. Quinn Ewers likely to come back. Um, I haven't heard definitively, but from the people that I talked to around Austin, they're pretty confident. Quinn Ewers will be back. Uh, obviously, they might not have Nye Mitchell. They, they're probably not going to have Xavier Worthy, who are likely going to the NFL, along with JT Sanders. So it'll be a new plethora of weapons. And obviously, they won't have Jonathan Brooks back at the start of the season because he tore his ACL so late in the year. But I, I think you have to like what you see of Texas. But at the same time, there are some concerns. Uh, they are losing their defense coordinator, who is leaving to take the head coaching job. Uh, at Nevada. So there's going to be some changes in Austin. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the outlook with Texas is a little bit different because I still think with the way it ended, it's pretty hard to argue this team didn't overachieve um, in 2023. Right. I mean, like based on our, our preseason expectations, I mean, I, they were my pick to win the big 12. I thought they would be that caliber team. I didn't think they were a playoff caliber team this year. I didn't think that's quite where this program was at yet under Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and, you know, even though they came up short, I mean, like I, like I said earlier, a slightly better pass on that final play. Maybe you're playing Michigan for a national title. Um, so, you know, I think it's still an overall very positive outlook, even though you are going to lose some guys. I think, like you said, I think it's safe to operate under the assumption that Quinn Ewers is coming back. He hasn't announced that, but pretty deep quarterback class. I think, honestly, a guy that really could stand to benefit from coming back, um, you know, I think could be in for a huge year. Maybe like, you know, get kind of a Heisman caliber bump. Um, you know, in this offense coming back for another year in an SEC where, you know, I think, I mean, it's early. I'm not going to declare this right now, but I, they could be my pick to win the conference next year. I mean, honestly, in their first year there, like, I mean, you know, obviously Georgia and Alabama are going to be good as always, but I, I don't think there's that necessarily that clear degree of separation between Texas and those teams. So I think the outlook is overall positive. Um, I mean, you can't, I, like I said, I don't think anyone in Texas really thought realistically that, you know, this was going to be a playoff team this year. So they're ahead of schedule, obviously stuff to, to address and things are going to get a little bit tougher next year, but I mean, it's hard to be disappointed, even though the ending itself was kind of disappointing. You know, as a unbiased observer, I'm actually excited about next year. When you look at Texas and their schedule, they're going to play Michigan in week two. So we're going to find out real quick how good they are. Obviously, the Texas-Oklahoma game. But they're also going to play Georgia. They're going to play Florida. They're, and, of course, my favorite game, the Lone Star rivalry returns. Texas, Texas A&M to close out the regular season. That's going to be a lot of fun. But, you know, Texas fans, there's there's a lot to be excited about next year. And specifically if Quinn Ewers returns, although I, I know a lot of people are hoping that he doesn't. So we can go ahead and jump into the Arch Manning era. Uh, but he might be a backup for a second straight year. Should he not transfer between now and then? Um, never know. 
It seems like he wants to stay in Texas, but as we know, it's been pretty volatile when it comes to the transfer portal, which really just brings me to my next topic. Let's talk about the current college football landscape. Uh, And Tyler, do you agree that we need a college football commissioner? Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. We need someone, I mean, the, the overarching organization of this sport is an absolute disaster. I mean, when you compare it to, you know, I, I think every other sport does it better, obviously, at a professional level. But, I mean, to me, the one that really jumps to mind is the NFL, just how, you know, and, and we'll get into this, just the calendar of everything. They've got it all, you know, down to a science much better than this sport does. And that's mostly because there's not any overarching leadership over it. You know, there's, there's Charlie Baker, but, that you know, He's not really overseeing, uh, you know, this, you know, the minutia of the sport and he doesn't even have a say in the college football playoffs. So there's only so much that can be done there. And ultimately there's just not, you know, that leadership in place. So simple. Yes, there needs to be a college football commissioner. Secondly, they need to separate from the NCAA when it comes to college football, because we have, as you just alluded to, Charlie Baker has no say in the college football playoff and it's the FBS athletic directors, commissioners, school presidents who really run college football. Uh, but I do think that they need to have a commissioner, a, a one central voice to kind of fix some of the issues when it comes down. We're going to be excited next year because of the 12-team playoff. So a lot of those New Year's Six bowl games that lost their luster uh, this the last couple of years due to opt-outs, uh, due to you know preparing for the NFL draft, a lot of those players are going to be staying because they're going to be play, competing for a national championship. Of course, the first round is going to be on campus, playoff, quarterfinals. The semifinals will take the place of the four out of the six New Year's Six Bowl games. And then the other two will be the remaining semifinals before the national championship. So I think that helps alleviate some of those issues. As far as some of the other bowl games, I don't know. But one thing that I've kind of discussed, and I hate to say it because I've always been a, you can't have too many bowl games. But, Tyler, I think there's too many bowl games. And, and the reason why I bring that up, when almost 30% of your postseason field is talking about the teams that are playing uh, in these postseason bowl games, six and six, I think we got to raise the standard. You can't just win six games and get a bowl game. Uh, I think we need to change that up a little bit. You know, I think I tend to agree that there's too many bowl games probably I, I don't know if i agree that the issue is the the six wins like standard though because i mean i think there was a time that i can remember pretty recently when bowl season was much more compelling with the same standards i mean i think yeah. ultimately it's a motivation problem so i mean you've got to find some way i think to if you're going to keep you either have to reduce the number of bowl games so making a bowl is something that is has some degree of exclusivity you know there's some you know some element of desirability to making a bowl game because right now there really isn't, especially with, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, you know, they're not exactly destination bowl games. You might go do something kind of touristy and kitschy, like whatever, but that's not, you know, it's not like something that's super appealing to 18 to 23 year olds for the most part, you know, especially with the calendar being what it is. I mean, there's every incentive in the world for these guys to opt out, you know, especially if they're in the transfer portal, and they have to be because um, as we're recording this, the transfer portal's closed. It's January 3rd and the transfer portal's already closed. So, you know, you don't really have an option with the way that this all works out. And and to me, I mean, I just want to go on, you know, just kind of go on a tangent, but like this calendar is an absolute mess. You, you know, you have 
portaling going on at the same time as closing out high school recruiting classes with early signing day while also doing coaching carousel and replacing assistants and preparing for bowl games and playoffs. It's, it's a mess. You can't do this. You know, the 12 team playoff will fix some of these issues with bowl, you know, the lack of interest in these bowl games. You know, first of all, there's just going to be more, you know, the games on campus sites, the, the first round of the playoff, that's just, you know, X six or four more bowl games that people care about. But at the end of the day, it's going to raise some bigger issues because now you're going to be preparing for bowl games, you know, doing bowl practices like right in the lead up to early signing day and in the heat of the transfer portal. This is a disaster. They, they have to find some way to, to fix this calendar. One thing that I think we should get rid of is the early signing period. Go back to February. Um, you know, when you look at uh, some of the pro sports, the draft always comes after free agency. So perhaps, you know, have your transfer windows have that's when you're adding in your players and then go sign uh, your, your recruiting class, um, AKA the draft. That's the way I think that they should do it. That's one aspect that can alleviate some of those issues where you're not having to worry about signing, you know, 18 to 20 players uh, in early in, in December. You're focused on, you know, the the transfer portal. You're focused on your your coaching carousel stuff. But I also think it'll fix some of that coaching carousel stuff because coaches won't be leaving, um, especially if they have a chance to win a national championship. Uh, you know, that's going to alleviate some of those issues, some of the coaching changes. I think it really boils down to focusing on transfer portal if you want to do it there. Um, because the big issue that they have, Tyler, is these kids are trying to get on campus. Uh, in January at their new school. Uh, so I think it's almost, you almost have to have that transfer portal in, in window in December, early January. Uh, well, I guess that's yeah, the end of November, start of Jan- uh, December. And then obviously focusing on those bowl games. Yeah. I mean, these kids don't really have an op- an option here. I mean, to me, they like the example that comes to mind is Malik Murphy, who was the backup at Texas, you know, he even said he didn't want to enter the transfer portal, uh, you know, when he did, but he didn't really have a choice because, you know, Texas could be playing or, you know, in his mind at the time could have been playing football until this coming Monday. Uh, and by that point it's too late. So, you know, he wasn't able to be a part of, you know, with the team, you know, for what could have been a national title run. So I think you have to kind of keep that in perspective whenever you are, are talking about, you know, players opting out of bowl games, there's always kind of more layers to it than just what's on the surface. But I think you raise a really interesting point about the early signing period. I mean, I think we've been in it for, I mean, it's what we're approaching like 10 years of the early signing period. I think it was like 2015 or something like that. And I think it's a little, I think it's pretty, it's been pretty negligible. I'm I'm not going to say it's been a a bad thing. I don't also think it's necessarily been like a, a particularly great thing, you know, in terms of player agency and roster planning. I think it's nice. I'm sure to get guys locked up early, but I think, you know, like you said, you kind of have to get guys on campus by this point for the portal. So if one of those were to get pushed back, I think that you're right. You know, the early signing day would be the, uh, you know, the, the casualty there, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, we have to find a way to to sort of normalize this and do what the NFL does where things happen at, at different times, because this is just, it's a mess right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was 2017 perhaps when that started, uh, but still, the, the the point being that, yeah, they need to get rid of that early so they can open things up. But once again, this is why uh, there should be a separation from the NCAA, why they should go with the commissioner. Uh, I don't know who that would be. Um, a lot of people seem to think 
the SEC commissioner should probably throw his name in the hat. And, I, and while I do like Sankey, I don't know if he's in the best interest of uh, FBS and more so the best interest of the SEC. Uh, but I digress. They do need to find somebody who can actually who, – who has knowledge of how this all works and how could put this all together. You know, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. We'll be back next week, recap the national championship game, and uh, I think it might be time to start talking some college basketball here, Tyler. Uh, we're, we're, getting, we're ramping up our conference play, uh, and then obviously the march towards March. Matt, we all get excited for that. All right, that'll do it for Tyler. I'm Patrick. See you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.